An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Real solutions to real problems. Today, this and more on The Grid. The Grid, a digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. I would tell you about the Kingdom Patriot podcast, but you're already listening to The Grid as we speak. So instead, I ask you, are you sharing The Grid with your family, friends, and neighbors? Well, you should be. Otherwise, how do we grow our audience? Well, we do it by fine folks like you sharing The Grid on your social media, in your email, or in that ancient mode of communication known as face-to-face conversations. Remember to click that little like button on your podcast platform and make sure you are following us. Also, don't forget to go to kingdompatriot.us and put your name on our email subscriber list. Welcome to this week's News and Review. Folks, seriously, I'm going to have to consider more podcasts dedicated solely to bringing you the current news. This culture, this administration is supplying literally a conveyor belt of news. If you want us to increase the frequency of our podcast, drop us a quick note to let us know at admin at kingdompatriot.us. Okay, today we're going to call this our NASCAR segment. Out of the starting gate, we have some legal news. SCOTUS ruled in favor of the Biden administration on immigration policy. So finally, the court throws Biden a bone. The administration can now allow illegal immigrants to come into the country while awaiting for the hearing. After reading the regulation, I get why the court ruled this way, but the reg needs to be changed. During COVID, this is the secondary and probably what I would refer to as the more quiet pandemic is this immigration issue. This administration is letting illegals into the country at a prodigious rate. It is unsustainable, and it is definitely irresponsible. In huge news, the Supreme Court rules in favor of industry in West Virginia versus the EPA. Now, this is huge news in another 6-3 decision. It basically said the Environmental Protection Agency has limits. I know. Newsflash, right? That if they're making decisions that basically reinvent or destroy entire industries, that that's authority Congress never intended. Or if it did, it did not explicitly say so. This is a huge blow to one of the executive branch's most powerful agencies. They can regulate existing congressional legislation, but they cannot write their own law. Okay, as we round the first turn, we see some political news. I told you this had happened. I just didn't think it would be so fast. I said there would be a push to pack the Supreme Court, and it likely would come via calls to nuke the filibuster. Well, Biden said as much, but not so much for packing the court, but just to get his legislation through. In making his announcement at a NATO summit in Spain, Biden said, quote, The foremost thing we should do is to make it clear how outrageous this decision was. I believe we have to codify Roe v. Wade in the law, and the way to do that is to make sure that Congress votes to do that. And if the filibuster gets in the way, it's like voting rights. We should require an exception to the filibuster for this action. Folks, that is our highest-ranking law official in the land. He is a complete moron. If you actually read the SCOTUS decision, you will see that Congress cannot make a national abortion right law no more than it can make a national law to prohibit an abortion. Why? Because the Constitution doesn't give the courts or Congress the power to do so. The only way Biden can accomplish this is by an amendment to the Constitution, which ain't going to happen. Since when did the rule of law actually mean anything to these crazies? 
But instead, this is more of what we are seeing as an attempt to circumvent the court's decision. And this ain't the only example. For example, Biden is colluding with Democrat governors to see how they can expand the ability for people to get abortions in the blue states. You also see that major corporations such as Disney are in full woke mode and virtue signaling, saying they will pay up to $4,000 for travel and expenses for a person and their partner to travel to a state to get an abortion. This is really sick. But it's also a very sobering reminder that this fight is not over by a long shot. It has just begun in many ways. And in other national political news, HHS issues guidance in wake of the Roe v. Wade decision. Now, HHS stands for the Health and Human Services. And for those of you who are not in healthcare, this is essentially the umbrella agency that covers Medicare and Medicaid, the most powerful agency governing our healthcare delivery system. So let me read to you an excerpt from this clarification that they provide. This is word for word. On the heels of the Supreme Court ruling in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, where the right to safe and legal abortion was taken away, President Biden and U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra called on HHS agencies to take action to protect access to sexual and reproductive health care, including abortion, pregnancy complications, and other related care. Today, in direct response, the HHS Office for Civil Rights, the OCR, issued new guidance to help protect patients seeking reproductive health care as well as their providers. And in general, the guidance does two things. It addresses how federal law and regulations protect individuals' private medical information, known as PHI, relating to abortion and other sexual and reproductive health care, making it clear that providers are not required to disclose private medical information to third parties and addresses to the extent to which private medical information is protected on personal cell phones and tablets and provides tips for protecting individuals' privacy when using period trackers, and other health information apps, unquote. Folks, this seems rather benign, but I'm concerned about a more sinister message here. Just as Biden has been touting websites that provide information and access to abortions for teenagers for the express purpose of keeping it secret from their parents, this also seems to be a secret attempt to say, listen, you can go ahead and get your abortion and remind you that your healthcare folks cannot tell anybody about it, even if it's illegal, because they would violate federal healthcare privacy laws. I might be cynical, but then again, with this administration, you have to be. Okay, rounding the final turn for state political news. It's not just the Biden administration that is the poster child for lawlessness, but even other deep blue states are thumbing noses at the Supreme Court. For example, New York Democratic Governor Kathy Hochul signed a new gun control bill Friday after the Supreme Court ruled last week that the state's rules that make it difficult for residents to obtain a concealed care permit were unconstitutional. The new law will require people trying to purchase a handgun license to hand over a list of social media accounts they have maintained over the last three years so officials can verify their character and conduct. Really. According to the measure, applicants must prove that they have the essential character, temperament, and judgment necessary to be entrusted with a weapon and to use it only in a manner that does not endanger oneself and others. Sometimes they're telegraphing their intent to cause harm to others, Hochul said at a news conference. Individuals applying for a license to carry a handgun will also be required to provide four character references and to take 16 hours of gun safety training and two hours of shooting practice at a range. They will subject to periodic background checks and will have to turn over social media accounts and contact information for adults living in their household. Now, folks, I do at least agree with the training. I get that. But if the law doesn't define what, quote unquote, the essential character, temperament, and judgment necessary is to be entrusted with a weapon and to use it only in a manner that does not endanger oneself and others, then this will get struck down by the Supreme Court. I have no doubt. Remember what Justice Thomas said? The burden is on the state to prove why you should not have a firearm. 
not on the individual to prove why you should. If this isn't clearly defined, it's just another way an executive branch can start changing the rules and what is acceptable behavior. So if, for example, I'm seen in a photo with a MAGA hat, would that disqualify for me carrying a weapon in New York under this law? Very likely. As we enter the home stretch, we see woke culture on full display. Cornell University removes the Gettysburg address and Abraham Lincoln bust from the library. Now, Cornell is quick to say this was just a temporary exhibit. Sure, we know how the wordsmithing works. Technically, it was temporary. But since it's been there for nine years, 2013, yeah, I don't think it was really temporary. But you guessed it. Why did they remove it? A single complaint. That's all it takes. Okay, if that's the case, how about this? How about I complain vehemently about this Biden's lawless behavior? Will that be enough to remove that temporary historical exhibit from the White House? But I digress. And now as we see the checkered flag in our sights, where do we put this story? Global politics? Inflation? Arrogant segment? The not-so-hidden agenda segment? Who knows? It touches all of these. So here we go. While at the NATO summit, Biden said that we will endure the pain at the pump as long as it is necessary to win the war in Ukraine. First, I was unaware that we were fighting a war since the spine of this president is more closely resembles an overcooked spaghetti noodle. Second, this was a not-so-veiled attempt to again link the price of the pump to Putin and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Hey Joe, that ain't sticking. But third, it was a more subtle reference to this administration's commitment to a globalist, progressive agenda. White House economic advisor Brian Deese was defending the president's comments with this statement. Quote, what you heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. Unquote. As you might imagine, his comments have caused quite a stir. Folks, we have crossed the NASCAR finish line in blazing speed. For this week's News and Review, that's a wrap. Hey, Sean, it's good to visit with you for round three. Yes, no pun intended. Well, we're not talking rounds and I'm not talking puns, but I get your point. <laughs> um, although this is our final episode on gun violence. So what have we done so far? We've touched on gun control and really the issue behind that. We've talked about what the real causes were, but today we get to solutions. Yes. I like to call that the, the you know, today we're going to talk about the root, not the fruit. So much of what we've seen so far seems to be dealing with the issues on the periphery, not getting really to the heart of the matter. So as we talk about that today, I think it's probably good that we don't, that we're not going to tackle this from gun violence in every single situation because Uvalde is so fresh. We're going to talk about it in the context of school. How does that work? I think that's good because we can always, when you start with one example, you can extrapolate and you can translate when it comes to other settings and similar events. So when we visited last episode, we really came to the conclusion that this, despite everything that's, that's happening and everybody's solution, you know, political solution, at the end of the day, this is a spiritual issue. Yes. And that we're talking about the hearts of people that are bent towards wickedness because scripture says so. But then when you remove God from the society, that you have a heart that is aching to follow something. And this is what you end up with. So let's spend some time on our faith segment today, just talking about what are some of those faith solutions and feel free to jump in. Well, I will definitely jump in because this has been something that's been on my heart actually for a few years now. And every time something like this comes up, it's like, 
I don't want to call it a simple solution, but there's a very simple strategy that I would like to offer that could be implemented all across the country. There are many churches across the country that understand the term spiritual warfare. If you go to a church where they talk about spiritual warfare, where they talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, then you understand what I'm talking about, intercessory prayer. What I would like to propose is a very simple strategy. You've got churches all across the country. Get a group together. doesn't have to be very big, but you adopt a school or you adopt several schools because this, you know, one church can cover several schools. It doesn't need to, you don't have to have a huge group, just a couple of people. And those couple of people or your small group, once a month, you go to a school after hours, you walk the perimeter, and you pray for that school. You claim the school for righteousness. You pray for the kids and the students. You declare and decree Psalm 91 over that school, over the teachers, and over the families that that school touches. It's very simple. Depending on the size of the church, there are churches that are large enough that they could easily cover 10 or 12 schools in their region. But the idea is that you just have a few people, like I said, once a month, walk around the perimeter of the school and pray for it. Again, praying for the students, praying for the faculty and staff, and praying for the families that are there. So back in the day, we kicked God out of the schools. But that doesn't mean that we can't go back to the schools and still pray for them, surround them, and trust the Lord for their safekeeping. Watch what God does. Let me tell you a little anecdote. So I actually did this with a school not far from where I live. A young man, the son of a coworker, had been shot in the face and he didn't make it. He lived just a very short distance from the school. So I went and walked the perimeter. It's a high school, so it was a large perimeter. So one Friday evening or Thursday evening or something, I walked the perimeter and I just prayed over it. Didn't necessarily pray Psalm 91, but I prayed over it, prayed for the, the, you know, all the stuff that we're just talking about now. And as I'm walking back to my car, There's a car that comes out of the neighborhood, and it's coming down the street along the side of the the school property, and this kid kind of crawls out the window to where he's got, you know, his upper torso is hanging out the window, and he yells, we know what you're doing, and I knew right then what I had done was having an effect. There's no way those kids knew what I was doing. There's none. There's such a distance between them and me. I knew that was the powers of darkness trying to just creep me out, but it confirmed to me that I'd done the right thing. We are dealing with spiritual warfare. We're dealing with the powers of darkness. Flesh out of control is spirit. And when you have, uh, you know, mass shootings in schools like this, as we talked about in our last episode, you're dealing with 
someone who is under the influence of a demonic entity, they're not the bad guy. They need to be rescued and they can be delivered. So, you know, Sean, what I hear you say is that that's a very practical way of the believers actually being involved in their communities, actually being involved at the school. Yeah, it's dirt simple. Is to go and pray over them and be ready to do battle. Yes. I think sometimes there's a danger in the church that we kind of live our own lives and we go there and we worship and not realizing that there is a battle out there. And I wonder if we should be actively praying that, that God opens our eyes to see where we can go minister for us to see where the enemy is lurking so that we can do that battle. I, I, I think of a, a series that my family and I went through called Experiencing God by uh, Henry Blackaby. And one of the things he says in there when you're trying to discover the will of God and understand what God's doing is look around you and see where God's working and join him. Mm-hmm. I thought that's so simple, but yet so profound and sometimes hard to do. Yes. But once you get familiar with noticing his handiwork, you notice it a lot more. Absolutely. You're listening to The Grid, a podcast production of the Kingdom Patriot Group. You can find us on the web at kingdompatriot.us. Join us in the fight for faith and freedom, Mondays, on your favorite podcast platform. I'm going to switch gears a little bit here, and I'm going to talk about politically some of the things that can be done. It is going to be hard for some of the audience who is listening to this and they're not believers. Although anything that doesn't start and end with prayer and a reliance on Christ is ultimately going to fail anyway. Man-made solutions are going to always fail. It just uh, History has shown that, and I think the Bible shows that as well, that those who depend on man, it's not going to be a good outcome. There are practical things we can do in, in conjunction with making sure that our lives are filled with prayer and being ready to engage in the spirit of battle. So I, I want to list a couple of those. First of all, I think politically, our country has to stop viewing the church as an entity or something to blame and instead see the church as an ally in a solution. What do you think about that? I totally agree. And it would be helpful for the church to wake up again to her identity and actually realize we can be an ally. Politics is a dirty business was the message back in the 50s, and so many of the churches were encouraged to stay away from politics because it's dirty business. And it's like, no, because it's a dirty business, you need to get involved in it so you can clean it up. Well, I mean, in fact, if we're saying the church is the rescue plan, then we we have to do that. And we have to eliminate this false narrative. And I believe it's false because I, I believe it's not consistent with the founding fathers. I think we have to eliminate this false narrative of separation of church and state. It's not what our founding fathers meant. I think church is an integral part of our solution. That separation was only one way. The government was not supposed to interfere in the life of the church, but the church is supposed to have righteous influence over politics and government. Totally agree. So here's something else that I think is interesting. Um, You know, we listed this again, just a practical step, but we listed just those nine venues, malls, schools, churches, all of those places where some of these mass shootings have taken place. And while it wasn't in all of them, six of the nine are believed to be gun-free zones. So clearly the criminals, the ones that are living in such a way, 
that they would do these heinous acts, they're not law-abiding citizens. So the gun-free zone is only keeping away the people who could actually make a difference. So I think we need to eliminate gun-free zones. Agreed. I think we need to find a way to hold law enforcement accountable to make sure there's a pathway that when people provide tips on problem individuals, that it's dealt with swiftly, decisively, not violating the individual's rights, but we cannot turn a blind eye to these kinds of things, or we end up with what we had in Uvalde. Agreed. That is something that needs to be looked into and studied. I firmly agree with you. There's a solution there. We just have to look for it. I also heard, and I'm not even saying I agree or disagree, but I heard Biden and some of the Democrats say that we need to raise the age to uh, purchase firearms to 21. Well, in this case, the Uvalde shooter was 18, but that often that's not the case. These mass shootings are not done by somebody who's below the age of 21. But I would say this. I will agree to that if we raise the voting age to 21 as well. I can't see how those two would be inseparable. So you can be drafted at age 18. You can vote at age 18, but you're not responsible enough to have a firearm to 21. That doesn't jive to me. Correct. I agree. So practically at the school level, here's some things that we know about Uvalde that I think we can do. And when I say politically, we could make this a requirement of schools. Number one, a school has to have a single point of entry with multiple escape points. Uvalde, I actually think it did. However, part of that is they, it also has to have the ability to be locked and should be locked at all times. Somebody should be controlling entry and exit during school. An armed security officer should be on site or at least an individual who's been designated as security. So I could see a principal or other administrator who's had proper training to also be armed and on site. Some ways you could almost think that that's better because uh, a perpetrating individual that comes in, in the building, if it's not a security person, they don't know who has the firearm. Right. Um, and I loved your suggestion when we were preparing for this episode about allowing military veterans to volunteer at school as an armed security. I love that idea. They've already had training. Obviously, if our country can trust them to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States and our freedom, I think we can count on them to defend our children in the school. And I'd love to be able to take credit for that idea, but I heard that somewhere else and just thought it was really awesome. I think it's great. Um, also, universal police protocols. This may exist. I, I, I have to say that I have some ignorance on this, but protocols that require police to step into a situation like this rather than waiting for backup. I understand you want to get people evacuated, and I know it's more complex than we're making it. I also know that I believe it's 44 minutes passed between the time this individual barricaded himself in a room and the police actually getting in there. And by then it was too late. Yeah, tragic. And so one of the other things we've talked about, I think, is also is also good. It's not it's not to try to create FBI profilers out of teachers, but I think a lot of time or at least more emphasis, more time needs to spent on training teachers how to spot bad apples, to spot problem children, children who could fall into these kind of categories rather than spending so much all the time on reactive training, which is, which is like, uh, you know, how to, how to evade and escape. I mean, those things are important, but it's always easier to prevent than to fix the issue when you're already in it. And, and I think we saw that with Uvalde. I mean, I'm sure that teacher had, had training on how to evade and escape and it didn't matter. The individual was in the room. Right. We've talked about this before. I firmly believe because we're taking a spiritual angle to this, we've already talked about that. We need to come up with a profile of these particular shooters, and we need to look at the characteristics that they have in common 
that healthy kids don't have. And we need to study those things. And then we need to put them together, that study, and we need to make it available to teachers, to administrators, to parents, churches and youth ministries, anybody that deals with young people, and allow them to be aware of the characteristics of somebody who is susceptible to this type of behavior. And one of the things that these children, and I wouldn't, I would refer to them as at-risk students. They're at risk. And the whole purpose of this type of profile where you're looking at, again, the characteristics that they have in common with each other that a healthy student does not have. We need to look at them as at risk. And one of the things that we need to do is we need to get those who are at risk connected with people who understand spiritual warfare, who understand the demonic angle of this threat. Because anybody who is under torment of a demonic entity, of a demonic spirit, can be set free. It's called deliverance, and it's done in the name of Jesus. Sean, can you imagine a situation? Can you imagine where we're not screaming about separation church and state, and instead teachers or law enforcement are notifying this local church that, hey, we have a kid that we're concerned about. They've committed no crime, but we see signs that are very troubling. We'd love for you to reach out to them, to minister to them, to take them under your wing, and to talk to them. And the church actively engages in that. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know there are some people, because my dad was, was one of them, it's like, oh, they're just going to look at it and see, you know, how much they give to the church, or, you know, all kinds of just stupid stuff. They don't understand. These kids need love. They need healthy attention. And churches that understand spiritual warfare, they know how to deal with that. So I also think, too, this is a great opportunity for the American ingenuity, the entrepreneur to rise up and find out ways that they could step in and help schools, help the churches, help the law enforcement, help the kids and make a business of it. Mm -hmm. I think people would be ready and willing to engage in commerce in a business that was able to help in this area. Right. Because when it comes to commerce of anything, the best thing is to find a need and figure out how to meet it. I don't mean exploit it, but how to meet the need. Because if you're going to meet the need on a mass scale, you're going to have to fund it. Yeah, for sure. When it comes to establishing a profile, a general profile that teachers and educators and, and ministries can learn from, it's going to take some funding. And so an entrepreneur that steps up and figures out how to do that, man, the blessing that they could become. Mm, good stuff. Excellent stuff. So as we wrap up this, really this series, I'd say, where we've, we've talked about gun control, we've identified the causes, and today we talk about the real long-term solutions. What are your thoughts? Like if you were to encapsulate this, what would you want to share? Well, I think that politically we need to recognize that there is evil in the world. And a political solution directly is not going to solve the problem because it hasn't so far. 
We need to recognize that there's wickedness in the, in the world, and we need to acknowledge that there is a solution for that. And then we need, as you had said earlier, we need the church to come along with governmental leadership and become allies in this and work together. I think that's well said. I think often we're always looking to, to change the fruit and we, do, we pass laws and have debate around the fruit when we don't look at the real cause. I, I cannot think of the last time that there was a public discourse, a public debate on, hey, these shooters are spiritually disturbed and we need to help them find Christ. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's, no, 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 we, we solve this issue by more control. Yeah, you know, that doesn't work because all you're doing is playing whack-a-mole. Right. I don't think we have to look much farther than Cain and Abel in the Bible. What did, what did the Lord say to Cain? Why is your face downtrodden? If you just do what's right, will your not, sacrifice not be accepted? But sin is crouching at your door and you must learn to master it. Mm, yeah, yeah. I don't know what he killed Abel with, but it was not an AR-15, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a rock. We don't need rock control. Yeah, I don't think we need rock control. Can you imagine semi-automatic and fully automatic rocks? I guess that means if you have one in one hand or if you have one in both hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Sean, I really enjoyed the conversation that we've had on this segment. It's so many things that we deal with here at the Kingdom Patriot Group and that we call out, it's really a hard issue. And we'll probably keep saying that until Jesus comes back. Because it's true. It really is true. I'm Sean Griffin. And I'm Chris Coleman. And we are Kingdom, Kingdom Patriots. Patriots. See you next time. Also, don't forget to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. Your membership is appreciated. Your input is valued. Your voice is needed. Music